Please stand. James 5, verse number 16. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Heavenly Father, we pray for your direction as we consider this and uh, the original uh, event. We pray that we might learn from it. We might grow in our relationship to the omnipotent God. Give us boldness with a sanctification that is proper and glorifies our Redeemer. Guide us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is James chapter 5. So the, the epistle is coming to a conclusion here. And toward the end of his letter, he exhorts us, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Coming in chapter 5, instead of chapter 1, should we conclude that perhaps this is an afterthought? In this, oh, by the way, I think it would be good if you prayed for one another. Is that what we have here? Not at all. Not at all. As we're taught by this and other scriptures, prayer is very important. And it doesn't matter if the exhortation comes at the very beginning of an epistle or the end of the epistle or a sermon that the Lord Jesus might be uh, preaching or comes from the book of Psalms or whatever. It is important. And the statement, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, is an important statement. The question is, do we understand what he was saying? Have we spent much time considering it? If we take this thought out of its context, we rip it away from the verses preceding it and, and uh, 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 the illustration in Elias, if we rip it away from the rest of the Bible, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much can become problematical. Take it out of the context. How does prayer accomplish things? What does prayer actually do? How does it avail? We are told that it does. How does it do it? If we read these ten words in the, in the context of modern shallow theology, again, problems arise. I read, read a statement the other day when I was preparing for this. It just struck me. The man, I, I forget who it was, not important. He says that this verse is more doubted than denied. In other words, the problem with this verse is not the unbeliever who says God does not answer prayer. The problem is with the believer who just isn't so sure that this really means what it appears to mean. And, and my prayers are, are, are important. 
if Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him, then how is James 5, 16 uh, important? For instance, do our prayers teach the omniscient God things that he does not already know? Of course not. No. Then how are our fervent prayers effectual or availing? We have to move on. And if the Lord is loving and good, especially to his children, is he going to withhold his blessings from us simply because we are not fervent in prayer, seeking those blessings from the Lord? Question mark. Furthermore, if God has determined from eternity what he will do, then how can our prayers avail even in little things? If all the saints in all the world unite themselves in prayer all at once about one particular thing, are they going to change God's mind or make him do something that he did not intend to do already? And does human emotion or fervency impress the Lord and somehow change prayer or change the Lord? Under these circumstances, does the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avail in anything? James says it does. Therefore, it does. Right. <laughs> After making this statement, James says, in effect, let me explain. Let me give you an illustration. Consider Elijah, or as we have him named in the New Testament, Elias. Elias was a man subject to passions like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, we've looked at this man several times over the last couple of years. I know that Brother Austin had a, a, a short series that touched on him. We dealt with him when we were studying the subject of faith. We've dealt with him when some uh, considerations of sin came up. And I had no intention. I had, when I started looking at verse number 16, I had no intention going beyond that verse. In fact, my, my theme at the very beginning was just the first part of the verse. Confess your faults one to another and just goes on and on and on, as you can see. Uh, do we need to look at this man again? Well, yes, we do. Not only does Elijah illustrate or explain James' earlier statement, but I have to confess to you that as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit smacked me in the forehead with something I'd never considered before. <clears throat> that happens over and over again. It happens. We can study one thing or one person, one subject, and uh, over and over again, and then all of a sudden there's something new. Well, there was something new for me. And for you who have already considered this years ago, I just apologize, but I have to vent, shall I say. I'll just have to share with you what the Lord revealed to me. 
We all know that Elijah was a man governed or subject to the same passions and emotions as the rest of us. In those earlier lessons, we saw his depression. We saw his cowardice, his fear running down to Gaza away from Jezebel. We heard him arguing with the Lord, inciting God to thump him on the forehead. Wake up. In other words, we can't put Elijah on a pedestal looking at him as some sort of a spiritual untouchable. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. But then we also considered earlier his restoration and his subsequent notable service for the Lord. He was a man of faith. Yes. And the Lord greatly used him later on. Now going back to James' previous verse and then to the Old Testament, Elijah was a righteous man. That, does, that doesn't mean that he was intrinsically holy, that he was better than everybody else. No one ever said, let's ask Reverend Elijah to pray for us because he's closer to God than we are and the Lord will listen to him or he might not listen to us. Now, the prayer of a righteous man simply refers to the conversation that a child of God has with the Lord. Mm -hmm. A righteous man in the Word of God is someone who has been justified, someone who has been saved by God's grace. This is a statement which ought to apply to all of us, the children of God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous woman availeth much. A righteous child. If he's a child of God, then he has, he has power with God. In quotation marks there, which I couldn't explain. Elias was a man subject to passions as we are, but he was justified. He's a child of God. From there, James reminds us, Elijah prayed that it not rain. And the God of the universe stopped the rain. And then 42 months of drought came. Elijah prayed that the rains return. And they did. In abundance. I have known these things for years, and you know these things as well. So far, I haven't shared anything with you that you haven't heard before. But then I went back to 1 Kings, and I compared what the Holy Spirit told us there to what we have here. Please go to 1 Kings 17. We'll go back and forth just a little bit. Let's consider that famine. Let's consider that drought which struck Israel in Elijah's day. 1 Kings 17, verse number 1. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, king of Israel, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, in other words, I serve him, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. This is our introduction to Elijah. Never heard of him before. 
There he is. We know nothing about him before this verse. But here we read of his approach to the king of Israel with the declaration that the land would be as dry as a desert until he, Elijah, said otherwise. From where did the idea of creating a national drought arise? Do we read that the Lord told Elijah that a deadly famine was coming? before commissioning him to warn the king that a drought was on its way. We don't get that information. In the next verse, God tells his prophet to go to the brook Cherith and that uh, the Lord would take care of him there. So Elijah was apparently sent to Ahab when the drought was just beginning, and then God sent him off to uh, this hidey hole, while the Lord took care of him there. But we don't read that God directly revealed that a famine was coming. Then what does the Bible tell us? Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. This is what was new to me. In studying 1 Kings 17, through James' commentary on the Old Testament, we aren't told that Elijah received a message from God. We are told that he took the initiative and he prayed for a drought. That's what we're told. And I believe what we're told. Elias prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He wasn't just leaning back on the declaration that God had made. He prayed that there be a drought. Let's remember that Elijah thought he was the only prophet left in Israel. In fact, he thought that he was one of the very, very, very few who worshipped the Lord still in that day. He thought he was alone. I think God laid on this man's heart a desire for national revival, a revival of righteousness, a revival of the worship of God. So he began preaching throughout Israel, repentance, repent. Repent, praying that God would grant repentance and bring Israel to her knees and restore the former spiritual glory that she had. How long did Elijah beg God to save Israel, regenerate the hearts of the wicked citizens of that country? Did he have a three-year ministry, an eight-year ministry? Six months ministry. After months of fervent but unanswered prayer, did the Lord finally put into Elijah's heart the idea that the only way to get Israel's attention was with a disaster? An enemy army? A drought? A plague of some sort? Locusts? Disease? Whatever? Did Elijah's prayers change from begging God for revival 
to please for divine judgment. I'm just asking the question based on what James tells us. Elias prayed earnestly that it might not rain. I believe that his prayer request was put in his heart by the Holy Spirit. No doubt that. But it became a part of his heart. It was his prayer. The Bible says that Elijah prayed that it might not rain, and God answered that prayer with a drought. Am I mistaken? Let's remember that part of the context of James' statement is that you might be healed. Sometimes the first step toward healing is a recognition that there is a disease. Sometimes the prayer, Lord, send revival, has to be prefaced with, Lord, awaken this people to their need. In the case of Israel, there was the necessity of a poverty-causing economic collapse, a famine-causing drought. Then, three and a half years later, Elijah faced the false prophets of Jezebel and Israel. On a plateau on the side of Mount Carmel, Elijah famously sacrificed to his water-soaked uh, offering to Jehovah. And in 1 Kings 18, verse number 37, he prayed loud enough for everyone who wanted to hear, to hear him say, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then, the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, licked up the water that was in the trench around the altar. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, Jehovah, He is God. The Lord, He is God. At that point, Satan's false prophets were executed and God's true prophet told Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain, but there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Nary a one. Elijah heard that sound by faith. He heard it because he knew that it was the will of God. Yes. Apparently the Holy Spirit had told him that God would send rain, but it would only come after Elijah prayed for that rain. Would it have come if Elijah had not prayed? I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> I think not. James says, Elias prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. 1 Kings 18.45 And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. This was after Elijah spent time in prayer. Without even hinting that it was God's eternal will to send the rain, it was by God's power that the rains came. That's a given. And I will tell you with complete confidence 
that Elijah's prayer was a part of the equation. Elijah's prayer was as much a part of that famine as the words of an evangelist are part of God's plan to save a particular individual. Elijah's prayer caused the drought in the same way that your witness caused your loved one to trust Christ. Mm. Parallel. James tells us that Elijah illustrates his point that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What does that mean? When God's people sincerely and wholeheartedly plead with the Lord, great power becomes available which would not be otherwise available. God has ordained that if the righteous do not pray, many times he will not bless. We have to pray. The Almighty God has created a huge electrical power supply and it's available to the righteous soul. But he has also ordained that if we don't flip that tiny little switch over there, the power is not going to be engaged. We must pray. What if it's not God's will that my particular prayer be answered in a positive way? You do not necessarily know God's will. But what harm is there in praying fervently for God's blessing or God's judgment as far as that goes? What harm is there? Plead earnestly until the rains of God's blessings come. In the middle of a certain farmer's field was a good-sized boulder. It made plowing that field difficult because he had to take his equipment around this big rock. After he had struggled going around that rock all summer, he harvested his grain and the winter months came on and he doesn't have as much to do, shall we say. So the farmer dedicated a whole day. He told his wife that on Thursday, he was going to go out into that field and he was going to destroy that rock. And if he didn't do it on Thursday, he'd go back on Friday. And if it didn't fall apart on Friday, he was going to go back on Saturday. He went out there, slogged through the snow till he got to the big granite problem, and then the work began. Over and over again, he slammed his sledgehammer down on that rock. Again and again and again, nothing happened. Again and again. Went on for hours. He took breaks. He went home for lunch. After lunch was finished, he went back out there. He wondered if his sledge would survive. His own strength was ebbing away by three o'clock or so. But then after six hours of sweat-causing, back-breaking work, there was one more swing of that sledge, and the rock fell apart into a dozen pieces. It was God's will that the boulder break. It was also God's will that the farmer fervently 
attack it. It's not going to fall apart all by itself. And God's not going to do it for you. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now think back to Elijah after he sent Ahab home. Elijah went to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and he began to fervently pray for rain. I personally, my own opinion, I don't think that he was very polite with God. Using the best words and uh, a mild presentation of this request to the Lord. He wasn't muttering a few religious phrases. He didn't carve out uh, three minutes of his busy day to spend with the Lord in regard to sending rain. He began pleading with the Lord as if his life depended on it. And the life of Israel did depend on it. He was willing to spend all the rest of that day in prayer. He was willing to pray into the night. He was begging the Lord to glorify himself with the restoration of rain and the restoration and the salvation of his nation. So Elijah was, was so intent on his prayers, so fervent, so intense and intent, that he couldn't even take time to look to see if clouds were coming. Servant, go check. Go see if there's a cloud out there. He was wrestling with God by faith, and he would not let him go without receiving this particular blessing. He probably pled the needs of his wicked neighbors. He might have even mentioned his own need but, pri need, but primarily he pled for the honor of the God of Israel. I believe this prayer for rain was something that the Holy Spirit planted in his heart. The Lord was in it. Yes. But it was Elijah. Huh. It's all Elijah. This is how we are to pray. This is how we must pray if we really expect God to do miraculous things. If we want God to do miraculous things. Again, someone may say, but I don't know God's will. It doesn't really matter if you are willing to submit to whatever God's will is. And if he doesn't want this thing that you're praying fervently for, he'll let you know. Just keep praying until he says no. Lord, I believe that it is your will. I believe that you would be glorified with a drought. Lord, flood this country with your grace. If we're wrong in our prayer, the Lord will stop us. We see that with Paul. But in the meantime, the Lord Jesus taught us to be importunate. That is, not give up until the rain comes. And Paul has taught us to pray in faith, believing that God blesses and desires to bless us. But again, what if he doesn't want to bless us? Shouldn't be our concern. That's God's business. The only thing we are to remember is this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? Have you been saved by the grace of God? 
Well, the uh, first criteria has been met. Pray. Yes. Do you want your nation or your friend or yourself to be spiritually healed? Pray. Time to get fervent with the Lord. Perhaps I shouldn't say only the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That might be overstepping things a bit. But I will say with James that such prayers do have power with God. Amen. We need to be more fervent in our prayer lives. 